Hello, Guitar Smarts listeners. This is an important announcement. Please don't skip ahead. We start this podcast with a special message. Way back in 2021, Guitar Smarts had the pleasure of interviewing the utterly fantastic Matt Long. Matt is a multiple award-winning British blues guitarist and lead singer of the British blues band Catfish and hard rock outfit The Revenant Ones. He joined us for episode number 20 and was a truly gracious guest who spoke about his career, his childhood, guitars and meetings his hero, Joe Bonamassa. Well, Matt needs your help. Through 2023, Matt has been undergoing treatment for bowel cancer, and his recent prognosis has meant that to extend his life and retain a chance of survival, he needs to seek private treatment outside of the NHS. Matt's family have set up a GoFundMe page that is linked in the Guitar Smarts link tree in the description of this podcast. And we at the Guitar Smarts podcast would like to invite each and every listener to consider donating towards this fund that could well save the life of one of the brightest guitar talents of our generation. Now is the time, folks. Head on over to the link in the description to find the GoFundMe page. Donate what you can. Your donation could save a life. Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. And I'm going to go on bask in the glory of Slash later on. Actually, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds like some bizarre kink fetish, I think. Uh, yeah, please don't Google that to try and find the, 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 the live video that I'm talking about, because otherwise you're going to be in a world of, 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 of pain. Greetings! Welcome to another episode of the Guitar Smarts Podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. This week, Kieran and I are debating, or at least talking about, uh, the songs that have changed our playing forever. So we're not just talking about artists or albums or people that, are, that we've enjoyed listening to over time. We're talking about specific songs that we can remember as having a profound effect on our play. So... This is a really interesting conversation and we both really enjoyed this and I think we both went away inspired to listen to each other's music um, that we'd mentioned, which is really great. One thing I must say, I've got to correct myself. Listening back to this um, whilst editing, I mentioned a Steely Dan record that Jeff Porcaro played on and I said it was the first Steely Dan album. It wasn't actually, it was Katie Lied, which is the fourth album by Steely Dan. So just got to hold my hands up and correct myself though. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Uh, please come over to our social media pages over at facebook.com forward slash guitar smarts and also on Instagram at guitar underscore smarts. We really like to interact with our listeners there. So if you've got questions for us or comments about the show, anything you've listened to, anything that you'd like to hear, uh, come and drop us a line or a message over there. And remember as well, if you like what you're listening to and you're enjoying this podcast, then please subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you never miss a future show. And that really helps us to grow the podcast as well. Anyway, let's get to it. How are you doing, Kieran? Yeah, I'm really good, mate. I'm really good. It's uh, it's the end of another another week, but... Um yeah, we've got a bank holiday uh, uh, coming up uh, for us here in the UK, so it means a bit of an extra long weekend. And uh, I don't know about you, Matt, but um, my kids are on that kind of half-term break from school next week. It varies around the yeah, country, doesn't it, do. sometimes? But you're, you're like, yeah? Okay, cool. So, yeah. yeah, I'm going to take some time off as well next week to, to spend with the kids, so that'll be cool. Fantastic. Yeah, it's been a good week for me too. Been very busy guitar-wise and work-wise. Yeah. Um, done a bit of modding this yeah. week, which has been good. Got a new pickup in the Strat, which I'm just astounded by. Just utterly astounded by by this new pickup. So I've got a Iron Gear uh, jailhouse rail in yeah. the bridge position. Never thought I'd ever go for like a hot rails type yeah. humbucker. Yeah. You know, single coil sized humbucker in a bridge position because I kind of thought it'd probably end up being a bit too hot mm. for the Strat, but it isn't mm. at all. That's the thing I'm astounded by is that the output of it doesn't seem any more hot than the than the normal single coil I had in it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem any kind of more uh, saturated or anything like that. If anything, it just sounds like it's a slightly more muscular sounding pickup than the, like that thinness from the bridge pickup's gone away, but it still sounds like a bridge pickup. It just sounds so strong. It's such a cool sounding pick. I'm over the moon with it. It's, it's oh, brilliant. It's that's... the best mod I've ever done on, on the Strat. Not that I've done many things, but it's just, it just, it's transformed the guitar for me. It's great. Oh, that's brilliant. That's really great. And what, what a beautifully, I mean, you did it 
really quickly. Well, uh, to your credit. Um, yeah. So it was, a quick, strat, it was a right? quick You mod. just pop the scratch yeah. plate off and it's easy to work mm-hmm. on the scratch plate. You know, changing a, p- a pickup on a strat is nice and easy, especially if, because mm-hmm. I'm not using the coil split on it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just the screen and the ground onto the back of a pot and then just replacing the connection on the switch and then tidy everything up with a bit of, you know, a few cable ties, make sure everything's where it should be and flip it back over. It really is, you know, between string changes, it's a 15 minute job. So yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just superb. Oh, that's really brilliant. They're, they're great pickups. We've mentioned Iron Gear pickups a couple of times and I think yeah. you know, they're getting a good name for themselves and, um, Incredible yeah. value. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that pickup was less than 30 quid, mm. you know, which is like, mm. what, $45, something yeah. like that, 40, 50 bucks in the US. Um, and it just sounds astounding. Just really, really great pickup. That's been my week, really, in terms of guitars, doing that mod and doing a bit of guitar playing at home in the evening, just enjoying playing this week, yeah, which is great because yeah. the week before I was just too busy. What about you? Because you, obviously you've got your new guitar. Have you managed to do anything yet with <clears> that this weekend? I haven't, to be honest, mate. I've um, I've had it a week or so now. Uh, it's it's lovely, but I'm aching to do some of the mods and things to it um, that I wanted to do. So this is the this is the gold top that uh, I re- recently acquired, and I've I've got all of the stuff now. It's all arrived. So <clears throat> I'm gonna change out the pickups again for a set of iron gears. Um, uh, I've got all of the pots that I want to to swap out, and the new orange drop caps that I'm going to put in awesome. a bit of uh, vintage wiring in it and um yeah a, a setup and it'll be good, it'll be good to go I mean it's a great guitar anyway but this is just about me making a few tweaks to it while I've you know still getting to, to know the guitar because if I put them off I'll end up you know just not doing them uh, anytime mm. soon so mm. that kind of it's like that thing of moving into a new house isn't it where you go right yeah. shall I shall I paint and decorate it now or live with it for a bit but I'm kind of like no I, I, I want to get this one out as a gigging guitar so I'm just going to make the mods to it uh, probably next week or so and then um, then, then get it out there so so yeah a bit of modding modding on that one Awesome. Just looking at the pit, just looking at it hanging behind you there now as well. I'm astounded by the colour of it because mm. it looks like such an authentic gold top colour, you know. Yeah. I think some copies that I've seen by other manufacturers before, maybe it's been a little bit too gold, a little bit too sparkly, not quite gold enough maybe, but that just looks, it looks spot on. It's great. Yeah, they've nailed it on this one because that gold top, as you say, Matt, quite rightly the kind of original kind of gold tops had a a variance in how they reflected light depending on what angle you looked at them and sometimes they would look very orangey gold sometimes very sparkly gold and you know I think I think one of the reasons they became really popular is the, the the way that they look when they're on stage right you put a set of stage lights on them and it really kind of pops um you know in the same way like that the tv yellow gibson color uh, you know, you, you look at it in, in, in person and it's just a kind of standard canary yellow type colour. But when you, mm. you start to see it on broadcasts and things, it really kind of stood out. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, going to do a few mods mods to that while it's still new so I can, I can get it out there. And then um, uh, I had a late night last night because I was rehearsing uh, or aud- auditioning rather for uh, this rock band, uh, another rock band that I've been trying out for. Uh, and it went really well. It sounded Excellent. brilliantly tight. Yeah, it sounded really great. I had a really good session with them. Um, and so I'm in the band and I've got a phenomenal Ooh. amount of song. Yeah. No, they awesome. Were, yeah, it was really good. It went really well. Um, n- nice bunch of guys, just the right amount of gigging frequency. Yeah. Um, they're playing at a really, really decent level for for what I would say a non-professional musicians, right? You know, not not out there every single day, but to a really high standard. And so, yeah, I've got my work set cut out now to, I, I learned one set, but I've got another set and a, and a bit to, to learn for, for the next couple of weeks. So yeah, next rehearsal's Tuesday. So yeah, it's, do you know what though? It's, it's, it's put me right back into that place of having that going on in my life as well as everything else. It's just like, oh yeah, I forgot juggling all of this, a gig diary and work and kids <laughs> yeah. and all of that. It's just go, oh yeah, that's quite a lot now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but it's getting nice. It's going to be Good great. to be busy. Yeah. Man, that's brilliant. I'm yeah. over the moon for you. Awesome. Oh, 
well, should be out there gigging. We, 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 we both should, right? And, um, and, and you are, you've got gigs in the diary already that are lined up for the, for the rest of the year as well. So, um, so yeah, it started to feel a little bit, uh, like things returning to normal, albeit socially distanced kind of rehearsals and stuff like that. So good stuff. Well, let's crack on with this week's this week's agenda. So this week we are reflecting on songs that have made the most impact in our guitar playing in our lives. So we've spoken previously, haven't we, about influences and who mm. as uh, artists as well as guitarists have influenced us the most over the time that we've been we've been musicians. But this to me feels slightly different. This is more about specific songs. Or, or you know, music from uh, artists that have had an impact on our playing. Um, so it might be a guitar solo that you know sent your technique down to different path. It might be a combination of things like production and tone from a particular guitarist that changed the way you approach the guitar, uh, or it could be something entirely different that inspired us uh, uh, to progress our playing. Um, you know, that may have been a watershed moment. So that's that's what we want to discuss this week. And for me, there's a few songs. Um, and and what about what about you? Is there a whole list of things that have sent you down different paths, or is it is it a few songs? Or yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'm sure there are. I'm sure if I sat here for um, you know an hour, <clears throat> I could mm. quite easily create like a like a list of stuff. Um, it kind of it, it reminded me about when we did um, like the Desert Island Gear or the uh, Desert Island you know albums. Mm. Um, podcasts, um, quite, quite a few episodes ago now. The, the process of doing that is it's almost kind of like if you, if you really think about it and sit down and almost like write a pros and cons column and, and, and really make yeah. it into some sort of academic process, you can, you, you know, you can end up with a really comprehensive list and, and, and really overthink it. But, Oftentimes, uh, the, the best way is just to kind of clear your mind and go, right, three songs, go, name yeah. them, what, what are they? Um, you know, keeping that brief in mind, right? Not mm. just, are these your favourite songs or, you know, do you love the person that played them? Um, mm. It's like, why, why these songs? And I think the thing that you've talked about is, you know, what did they do for your playing and or, you know, approach to tone? So that's what I thought of and actually very quickly came up with three Mm, four, I'm going to stretch it slightly, four songs <laughs> that I think, you know, summarise that for me. So yeah. maybe maybe for our audience, it'll, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of these tracks may be familiar to them. Maybe a couple, maybe some of these tracks aren't. Um, so go and, go and search them out and have a listen and see if you agree with what we are saying in terms of what these songs may do for somebody's playing or uh, approach to tone. Um, yeah. in, in the way that it did did for us, it'd be great to hear if if people you know think the same in that regard, or can tell us some of the songs that that um, you know it wasn't these songs for them, but it was a, a bunch of other songs that that did a similar a similar thing. So so yeah, I've got my songs. <laughs> you got your songs. So have I. And I, I f- I'm the same. It's I found it quite easy to to pick uh, a few. Um, that for me really stand out as uh, important moments in my kind of uh, listening career, you know, as being a listener of music as well as being a musician. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's quite, you think how many, how much music you've listened to over the, over your life It's and it's quite interesting to think that it's so easy to pull out just a few songs that, that, you know, are important in your kind of history as a, as a guitarist. So, um, so yeah, um, I, shall I kick off? Yeah, go okay. for it, mate. Sorry to interrupt this super interesting conversation. However, if you've made it this far, maybe you should subscribe to the Guitar Smarts podcast. Go and do that now, and then let's get right back to it. The first one for me is, and I'm kind of doing this in chronological order as well. So um, these these are this is coming right from the beginning of me being a guitarist. It's, it's no secret now. Obviously, I'm a big Clapton fan. This is the only obvious one though in my list. Right, the rest of them I think are, are less obvious. But I started playing guitar after hearing Clapton Unplugged, um, and I loved that album so much because of the songs that are in it and his acoustic playing. You know. Yeah, um, and that got me into 
some of the other stuff that was available at the time, like, uh, you know, the, the 24 Nights, Journeyman, the stuff that he did in mm. the 80s. So I'd say the first kind of year of my guitar playing was that kind of era of Clapton. And then my dad bought From the Cradle. Um, and obviously that's just his his pure blues album that, that he did. And, and the song off that album for me, which uh, for me is still probably one of my favourite guitar tracks and guitar solos, is Five Long Years. Um, um, where he does this double chorus guitar solo in the middle, and it's just just the most it's it's just epic like strat blues tone, amazing. You know, it's that classic Gibson uh, Gibson class, classic Fender mid boost sound on his strat, um, and the solo is just it's just absolute gold. And I must have spent weeks and weeks and weeks after that just trying to learn that guitar solo, and that's what sent me down a blues path for years after that. In fact, I'd still say um, even now. Now, if I if if I was to kind of pinpoint why I like the blues so much and all the blues artists I've ever listened to, um, it comes from that one experience of not just that album, but that particular song, you know. Um, and it's a great track as well. It's a fantastic performance of a blues song. It's a really kind of fiery blues number, kind of mid-tempo, on the verge of being a slow blues. But he kind of sings it and performs it almost angrily, which he's meant to because the song's about being kind of, you know, losing your your, your hard done by after, and yeah, yeah being hard yeah, done by yeah. by a woman after yeah. working so hard yeah. for five long years you know um, <laughs> and he sings it so angrily and you get to the end of it and uh, and he's doing that 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 interesting ending where he's singing one line over and over before hit by the band and it's so angry yeah. Um, it's just such a brilliant performance all around. Such a perf- and that's that song is a watershed moment for me. So it's that's five long years by Eric Clapton um, from the From the Cradle album, which I think was nineteen ninety four. That's the first that's one a, for me. What, what a great choice, buddy! What an absolute great choice. Um, that's really interesting in terms of well, it's it's it's, it's just a because I I came at it in a different way that that album and that song. And so to hear you talking about that was almost the catalyst for you to then go off in a direction with blues and, and you know, what an inc- I totally can understand why that would be the case. I agree with everything that you said. It's a quintessential, you know, track cover by him where, and you can hear that anger and that, and that, that kind of frustration in the way that he sings it and the playing is, is flawless. Uh, I remember hearing that track and this was something I think I've spoken about in the podcast before where it was, I was really heavily into, into blues already at that point. Mm. I'd, I'd loved Clapton, but my, my dad had kind of had all the cream uh, era Clapton stuff, yeah. and blues breakers stuff. So that's, that's the Clapton that I knew. Mm. Um, and, and even some of the kind of eighties rock stuff like the August albums and stuff like that. So, um, I hadn't really uh, appreciated um, that album and, and and what Clapton's blues playing was fully about. And so I remember, and it was actually uh, a guest and friend of the show, Damien Lodrick, who mm. put that album in my hand as a, as a cocky 16-year-old kid that I was at the time <laughs> and said... Uh, I know you think Clapton's not not the pinnacle of blues playing, and you know all the other blues people that you revere. But but listen to this album. I was like, all right, I'll give it a listen. And I, and I remember, as I said before, you know, calling him up uh, at like one in the morning or something after just listening to that album like all night and just going, how how wrong was I? This yeah. this man is just the blues personified it was it was it was a proper wake-up call so yeah and it, it, what a versatile musician to be able to cover that that all those different genres of pop and rock and but ultimately he's steeped in the blues right and, exactly yeah. exactly that's what showed in that album i mean that whole album is i mean i've, I've picked the cherry from the bunch really but that whole album is is just fantastic some mm. other songs on that album that are really uh, incredible songs not just from a performance of the of, of the song perspective but from a guitarist perspective and things like someday after a while uh tore down um 
uh, uh, I think it's Groaning the Blues, which is the last one. Uh, Sinner's Prayer, which is a Ray Charles song. He did a fantastic version of that where he's playing without a pick. Um, you know, he's playing finger style, reconsidered. Well, just every, every song. <laughs> just all of them. Just all yeah. of them. They're just so, yeah. so great. And it's effectively, and my dad has yeah. pointed this out to me because my dad listens. Hi, dad. Um, effectively, this is a live album. It's not in front of an audience, but it was recorded live. Every song, and I think if you read the liner notes, there's only one song where the Dobro, or the Dobro, however you say it, the slide acoustic he's playing is overdubbed. That's the only song that has an overdub. Every song is performed live as a band in the studio as a complete take. There's no overdubs or anything in that whole album. So it is a live album. It's a live album performance, and it's a, yeah... Clapton from the Wow, that makes it even more special. Yeah, exactly. What a great fact from your dad. What's your dad's name? John. John John Oliver. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, you know, he's as big a Clapton fan as I am. Um, But yeah, he pointed that out to me a while back when I think I was talking to him about live albums and uh, he said, from the cradle. Of course, yeah, it is. It was just, they were all live performances in the studio. It's incredible. Brilliant. Some good uh, documentaries on YouTube about when he was recording around that time. You can see them performing. I think it was in Olympic Studios in London. Yeah, um, that they did it. It was a massive studio. Or was a massive studio. I don't think it's a studio anymore. I think it's a block of flats, unfortunately. Uh, could be wrong. I don't know. Possible nonsense alert, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should get your we should get your dad to fact check that one. Yeah. It sounds like he's here. <laughs> John, can will. you John, can you correct Matt either way if he's wrong about this? <laughs> exactly. Go and do the research and let us know. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. So what about you? What's what what uh, give us one of yours? What's, yeah, what's so one of the important ones? I'll, I'll, um, again, I, I won't la- labour on this one because um, I have mentioned uh, uh, th- this band and this album uh, as, a f- as a kind of formative album in, in my kind of youth. Um, but uh, as a similar approach to you, thinking back to when I was young and, you know, really starting out in, in guitar playing, and I had a couple of years of classical guitar training mm-hmm. um, before I'd ever even considered listening to anything other than pop music and, and, and the bits of classical music that I was, I was playing. So, um, and then, uh, I don't, I, I think somebody must have played it to me. I don't, I don't, I don't think I found it on my own, but, um, Metallica were obviously becoming a huge band, uh, at that time in the, the kind of, uh, late eighties through, through early, nineties uh, and the black album came out. And that was, that was doing the rounds, uh, with all the cool kids at school. And I remember, um, I don't know where it was in the music room or or somewhere, uh, you know, at school. And I remember, I remembered hearing, um, the opening, uh, melody to a song called The Unforgiven, which, uh, starts with this, uh, finger style classical kind of played. It's like a, it's like an A minor, uh, kind of arpeggiated chord, um, in that kind of open chord position. And I remember hearing it and just thinking, oh, I can play that. Cause I, and, and I remember a lot of the kids that were into guitar and things at the time were, you know, learning, you know, rock and metal and, you know, power chords and stuff like that. But they, they hadn't had classical kind of training or finger style training. I mean, bearing in mind, we were like, mm. what? 14 year old kids at the time right so none of us were accomplished guitarists but I remember getting quite a lot of attention because I heard heard that piece and I could just play it it was like a it was like an easy thing to me because that's the technique that I I knew and then obviously the the track soon kicks in with these kind of monstrous uh power chords and things but I remember opening my uh musical sensibilities to a totally different genre I I hadn't considered rock or metal or anything like that at that stage Mm. really uh, not not heavier stuff, um, and so I just remember thinking, "Wow, you know, you've got you've got these bands uh, like Metallica." That, and I think at the time when they were making that album, they they were they were quite nervous and uncertain as to how some of those tracks would translate for their audience, which was kind of a, a hefty following of, of kind of thrash metal kind of fans. And uh, you know, some of the tracks are very melodic and very well orchestrated pieces, and, and they were kind of concerned as to whether that was going to make them look like like they'd sold out to their to their genre. Um, but for for people like me, it did the opposite. It made me actually engage with them and go, "Wow, okay, you know." Tracks like The Unforgiven and Nothing Else Matters, <clears throat> where I could 
access the rest of their back catalogue, but through those very accessible tracks. And from a guitar player's perspective, you know, there's some there's some really good technique in there. Um, that to mm. me is like a 14 year old classical guitar is kind of I, I I linked into. So so yeah, that track, the Unforgiven. <clears throat> um, I proceeded to then then kind of do a little arrangement of that entirely on the classical guitar, um, and. I think then went on to try and teach myself the entirety of that album on a classical guitar because that was all I had at the time. And I managed to borrow a tab book off my friend. And then that was it. That was then just like a uh, the start of a, of a uh, I would say, a, uh, you know, a lost youth into discovering all these genres that I, I just hadn't really appreciated before, um, you know, really, yeah. uh, rock, metal and, and all of that. So, yeah. That whole album, um, the Black Album by Metallica, is an absolute classic. One of my favourites as well in the in the you know the whole hard rock metal genre. It, it's just uh, you know it, it's it's absolutely superb. You mentioned Nothing Else Matters. That's one of my favourite tracks of theirs. Um, in fact, they did a version of that I think with like the uh, San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, didn't they? For that um, they did S and M album that they did I yeah. think years ago. Yeah, and that is epic, absolutely epic. Um, yeah, that one of my I remember my brother. Um, my brother was into Metallica as well. Uh, he might still be actually. I don't know, but um, he liked Metallica too. And uh, I first listened to Metallica. The Black Album wasn't the first album of theirs I listened to. It was Load, which was I think about ninety five, ninety ninety five, mm. ninety. I think it was mm. the album after the Black Album, and that was almost more rootsy and kind of mm. a little mm. bit more kind of hard rock than metal. Uh, and I love that album. That's one of my favourite albums of theirs of all time. Um, but what a, that's a great choice. The Unforgiven because that is another epic metal track, you know. But you're right, that album, they really kind of, um, I think, like you said, some people to criticise them for kind of not being heavy enough. But I think it was, I don't think they were less heavy. I think they were slightly more sophisticated, almost. Yes. You know, I think they yes. were showing the 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 life experiences, maybe, and, you know, the, the changes in the their influences or, or what they wanted to do artistically without actually really changing um the you know their abilities or the you know kind of intensity i thought that was a that was a superb album i think it i think it speaks to you know as as musicians they're they're all individually talented but i think you know particularly in in james hetfield he's got a really incredible sense of melody and harmony yeah and uh there is a and the, and, and that album i think was very much uh, hey this is my opinion i could be completely wrong but I think that album was also the result of being heavily influenced and guided in the right way by the producer. Um, yeah. It was Bob Rock. And, you know, Bob Rock had done some, you know, incredible rock producer, musician in his own right. Um, but there's a great documentary, <clears throat> which, you know, I wish I, I wish I had. I don't know if you can get it on DVD or mm. anything like that, but you know, the, I had it on VHS back in the day and literally wore out the copy of it. And it's <laughs> called a year and a half, a year and a half in the in the life. And it was like, a, a, you know, before reality TV. Right, this is this is going back decades now. Yeah. Right? This is before reality TV was a thing. You know, Metallica had a, f- a film crew following them around for the making of that album. And I think they split the video or the VHS into two tapes. And the first one is just the whole studio environment of those songs being written, mm. crafted, mm. tweaked, uh, agonized over to get to the end result. And you can see the tensions between the band and the producer and different musicians as they're struggling and grappling with these songs. Um, just to get them to a sound that they feel is authentically theirs, but still taking the band to somewhere different so they could, and you know, uh, what a, what an amazing result and arguably an album that then, you know, took them to even greater heights yeah. as, as a result. So yeah, anyway, really, really great track. So yeah, go and listen to the Unforgiven. If you, if you don't know it, it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant oh, song. Super, really great. Cool. Right. 
Well, my next song is, um, so, so I, so again, kind of thinking chronologically through me kind of growing mm, up and mm. learning guitar and listening to music and finding new things. Um, I'm kind of, I'm 17 years old at this point. I've still pretty much from being 13, only really been listening to Clapton and blues and, and stuff like that. And I haven't really broadened my horizons, but I'm, you know, I'm reading guitar magazines and I'm learning more about, you know, other people. And I'm working now as well. I've been doing an apprenticeship and earning some money. And one of my favorite things to do around this time in my life is to go down to like our price or Andy's records in town in Wigan, where I grew up and buy CDs, uh, you know, sometimes yeah. randomly based on what something looks like, you know, um, but I wanted to buy a particular live album that I'd heard was just superb. And it was Live and Dangerous by Thin Lizzy, which is just, yeah. it's just one of the best live albums ever, even though it's not really a live album. They overdubbed a lot of stuff afterwards, you know, and corrected things in the studio. Um, but there's a song on that called Still in Love With You, which I think is uh, a Phil Linnett song rather than a Thin Lizzy song. I could be wrong. Um, should have fact-checked it, really. Um, but there's that's one of the first songs I listened to and, and was really taken by melodic guitar guitar playing um in particular um scotty scott gorham's guitar solo which is the second guitar solo at the end of the song which is it's quite a long guitar solo it's a couple of minutes long and it leads the song into the outro um and it's just beautiful and i remember listening to that and that was when i started going down a rock route and started listening to more metallica and thin lizzy and acdc and people like that and um uh, but still enjoying listening to guitarists that uh, obviously had a blues influence as well uh, and that whole album is just full of just stunning guitar playing, brilliant singing, thunderous bass playing. Because thin, you know, Phil Linnett's yeah. bass playing was just astounding. You know, really play. Yeah. He played with a pick on a precision bass, really loud. You know, it's kind of Lemmy style almost, but superb singer, incredible songwriter. Um, and thin Lizzy have obviously had a lot of really great guitarists in the band: Eric Bell, Gary Moore, Scott Gorham, Brian Robertson. That that live album is Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham, um, and that and the interplay between the two on all those songs is just superb. The harmony stuff they do together. That whole album is just you know a seminal rock album for me. That's that's where I draw a lot of my rock influences from when I think about rock guitar playing. Uh, but that song, uh, "Still in Love with You," the the outro solo by Scott Gorham is just a thing of beauty really beautiful melodic playing you know not fast or shreddy or anything he's just playing just fantastically and that that for me is a watershed moment as well because that's some of the, that's the first time i can recall listening to a melodic guitarist and thinking differently about you know approaching a solo over a song and you know and just enjoying a really great song so that's choice number two for me well I'm, i must say mate i i need to go and listen to that that track i mean i i know the the, the classic thin lizzy numbers that most people have kind of you know can reel off but um i must say i i'm i'm not entirely familiar with that with that song so i can't wait to, to mm -hmm. go and listen to that this afternoon and that whole um, album, just live and dangerous. Thin Lizzy is just—it's one. Of, I mean, if if we were, we may in the future do a podcast about our favorite live albums and favorite live music, and that's on there for me. You know, along with you know various others, it's it's a really really great album. And they, and you mentioned guitar harmonies, right? That that mm. band, you know, even considering the different guitarists and things they've had, it's it's they are well known for the really beautifully done guitar harmonies and, and double laid kind of guitar tracks exactly. that they used to do that really yeah. uh you know uh people you know if you if you if you do like a thin lizzy cover you've got to get those right because that's what people right. need to hear exactly yeah. that i mean we yeah. used to do when we were in roadrunner do you remember there was a period of time where we used to do a song called rosalie which was a thin, oh, that's a yeah. thin lizzy song and that's on the album that's on the on the live and dangerous album um but yes that whole album's full of fantastic harmony and yet that is the thin lizzy sound really i think for a lot of people when they think mm. of thin lizzy they think of those harmony guitar parts like you've got in you know boys are back in town right um right. rosalie like you said southbound um uh jailbreak has got brilliant guitar harmonies as well but the best for me is waiting for an alibi from the black rose album that that mm -hmm. in fact that black rose album is another one to go and listen to but coming back to the song choice still in love with you brilliant absolutely super cool man good choice all right uh where, where shall i go from from here so um yeah in terms of my next choice I had to pick a Guns N' Roses track because I'm a, I'm a huge GNR fan. Of course. Um, and, and yeah, of course, you know, as any guitar player growing up, 
sweet child of mine was you know the quintessential solo to kind of play live and still is and i i love it and i uh, i can never get bored or tired of playing that song live um and it, it is just a great track and it's probably one of those guitar solos that everyone you know when they go and watch a covers band play it or um you know listen to that track the solo is probably equally uh the you know a main part of that song as the vocals and singing mm. along to key parts of it it's one of you know there's plenty of songs like that but where the solo is kind of like yeah people yeah. uh anticipate the solo you know yes, uh, exactly. as well even if you're not even if you're not a guitar player but that's that's not the song that i've chosen from from gnr because a that would be too obvious and um and b as much as i love that solo it's probably not the gnr solo that had the biggest kind of impact on my playing and outlook towards music and the track that did uh and the solo actually in this case that did um is off a track called uh, Double Talking Jive, which is a very heavy kind of rock uh, track off the first Use Your Illusion album, I believe. Um, but it's not even the studio version of that track. It's the, it's the live version uh, that, that they play. Mm. And, and, the, and the reason that I love that track is, uh, again, possibly, possibly as a link back to some of the classical kind of... Uh, uh, lessons and things that I had, but also this love that I have of flamenco guitar playing and that kind of Spanish mm. sound, right? Mm. And on this track, and, and it is on the studio album for sure, but just in a very uh, on, on the studio version, uh, but in a very much abridged format, is uh, this guitar solo. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, the song. The song is a, a classic kind of uh, rock riff in in E. Nothing, nothing particularly innovative, but when it gets to the solo, the whole uh, dynamics of the song change. And uh, Slash is playing in in this kind of E Phrygian kind of dominant Spanish kind of sound, and it's it really changes the whole feel and tone of the of the of the song. And to, when you see him play it live and they extend that solo. So there is a uh, live performance of Guns N' Roses, uh, a concert in Paris to a huge stadium audience in Paris, outdoor mm. performance, live in Paris in 1992, which again, I had on VHS because I recorded it live off the TV at the time. And I wore <laughs> out that tape. I kid you not. My sister, my sister still talks about the days where I used to sit in front of the TV, literally watching and rewinding and rewinding and rewinding. And That's kind of uh, sweet though. It is. People, well, yeah. People don't well, have that experience there, right? now, right? People are sitting in yeah. front of YouTube and just watch other people teach them how to, you know, I, I still prefer now to go through that experience of listening to something over and over till I get it I still find that more comfortable than pulling up a tab or a lesson or something and you know I don't I think it's something we've been through yeah no no but you're right Matt because um <laughs> we didn't have YouTube or Spotify or anything like that oh god we, we sound like old farts now right <laughs> but, you know, back, back in our day yeah. you know electricity <laughs> had barely been turned on that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. to learn um, the song before the candle burnt out you know that's it <laughs> Yeah, well, well, after 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 you know fashioning new guitar strings out of catgut, literally by by, by, by oh, dissecting dear. the household pet. No, I mean we're not that old, but uh, but yeah, I remember rewinding and rewinding on VHS tape this live recording that I'd done of uh, of, of this concert, and I still to this day I've scoured and scoured and periodically do it every every couple of years scoured the internet in the hopes that the original footage of that concert has been properly mastered and laid down yeah. in high high definition onto onto a, onto a tape uh, onto a, a DVD or Blu-ray and it hasn't I've got a bootleg I've got a bootleg um DVD copy of it again which somebody has kind of chucked onto DVD but it still looks like it's been filmed on a potato and recorded like through <laughs> through through something horrific but I still, yeah uh, and there are there are um uh, versions of this available on YouTube as well but mm. uh the the quality is so poor but uh Guns N' Roses live in Paris 1992 double talking jive the guitar solo uh, is to me a tour de force in live rock guitar playing. Mm. His playing looks effortless 
and so relaxed and he's in this kind of world of his own playing uh, to the huge stadium audience, blisteringly fast licks, but with this real beautiful Spanish-influenced Phrygian-type tones, um, which is a departure from his normal kind of pentatonic shenanigans. Yeah. Um, but but shows that he had, he does have that versatility there. And um, that solo breaks down in terms of really fast, heavy rock uh, phrasing into some lighter, cleaner bits. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, um, a virtuoso performance if you're a, if you're a Slash fan. But for me, that is one solo where I just still to this day uh, get inspired every time I see uh, or listen to, to particularly that live version of it. So there you go. Awesome. Well, a great choice. And I'm going to do the same thing as what you said about the Thin Lizzy track. I'm going to go away and listen to that this afternoon because I haven't heard that before. And I'm going to go and bask in the glory of Slash later on. <laughs> Actually, that sounds terrible. <laughs> That sounds like some bizarre kink fetish, I think. Uh, yeah, please don't Google that to try and find the, 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 the live video that I'm talking about because otherwise you're going to be in a world of of, of, of pain. Uh, oh, dear. Yeah. Not safe uh, for work. Yeah. Not safe for work, yeah. GNR Live, 1992, live in Paris. Double talking jive. Fantastic. Uh, what's your next track, I'm going to give you my last one, which is... Um, uh, probably not a surprise, but but I'm fast forwarding again chronologically to now I'm in music college. I've moved down south, gone to the ACM in Guildford, uh, and I'm learning about. Um, I'm trying to kind of get my head around music theory. I'm having the classic thoughts that a lot of guitarists have is, do I need this? You know, do I need to turn up for this <laughs> class music theory? I just want to play guitar, kind of thing. And then I get introduced to Steely Dan, which. Ah. Um, as, you know, I'm really, I'm not necessarily interested in jazz, but the thing that Steely Dan did is they, they put the jazz inflections and the jazz kind of uh, sensibilities into some really cool kind of yacht rock, you know, pop stuff. Um, and they had some big hits, you know, um, like Reeling in the Years, um, Do It Again from their first album, and Kid Charlemagne from the Royal mm. Scam album. And I remember listening to that album and we were we were talking about various guitarists in one of the classes. And uh, I really liked Larry Carlton's guitar solos on Kid Charlemagne. I thought they were fantastic. But the reason why that is kind of a watershed moment in my playing is not just because it was a great solo, but you probably heard me talk a lot when we've talked about guitar playing about playing over changes and playing to the yes. chords and why that's important so that's kind of the patient zero of of that way of playing for me that song um when you analyze what he's playing um you you realize how simple the approach actually is i mean it's quite a complex guitar solo it's not easy to play it takes some practice to to play what larry Carlton's playing over that uh, but when you break it down you you know if you learn the chords that he's playing over and then you analyse what he's playing, he's just playing notes from those chords a lot of the time. And so that that was a real kind of eureka moment for me in my guitar playing, which was, you know, that was then when I went, oh, theory really is important. You don't have to learn theory to be able to play a guitar, but do you know what? It's kind of, it's kind of like... Um, you know, it, it, you're arming yourself with information that you can use. So why not? Why not do that? And so, Kid Charlemagne by um, by Steely Dan, but in particular, it's Larry Carlton who you know is one of the most prolific session guitarists of all time. He played the guitar solos on that song. Not 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 all the guitar solos on the on the album. Um, there was Dean Parks as well, and I think uh, some other guitarists on that album. That album's full of fantastic guitar playing. Haitian Divorce mm. is brilliant. Um, Caves of Altamira there's some fantastic songs on that album which are full of really cool guitar playing but that one in particular Kid Charlemagne I think it's track number one on the album um, just superb guitar playing and that's a that's number three for me for kind of watershed moment guitar songs oh there's so many cool things in what you've said there around you know uh, light bulb moments where the application of theory kind of clicks with what you're trying to achieve on the guitar and in a way that you get recognized that that's a really that's a really good point well made um <clears throat> i love the fact that you you know you talked about them as kind of 
you know, yacht rock, which in yeah. my head is kind of easygoing, almost background listening stuff, <laughs> but which, which to some extent Steely Dan is until you then try and learn one of their songs yeah. and you go, Oh, what are these chord shapes? Exactly. I, I've never experienced these chord shapes before. Yeah. And you know, then, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I did a couple of Steely Dan tracks, uh, a few years ago for a, a band I was uh, kind of just, uh, messing around with. And, but, even though that band didn't really turn into anything, I'll always take from it the fact that I got schooled on on Steely Dan and and what that you know uh, band was all about. And actually, um, yeah, they're like a sleeper band, right? <laughs> they're they're, they're, they're really great, great. Po- great pop tracks, but then you kind of look into it and you go, these guys are incredible musicians just, with really yeah. complex arrangements and, and chord choices. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of that is because they they weren't really a band. Um, it was just, um, oh, I can't remember the names. Um, anyway, the, 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 it was two guys. I, my, my mind's just gone completely completely blank. But um, Donald Fagan and I think Walter Becker. I could be wrong. Donald Fagan and, and some other guy. <laughs> that sounds terrible because <laughs> I know the other guy's dead now. But, um, but uh, it, was, it was really just those two guys and then good session musicians. You know, a lot of the mm-hmm. albums you're listening to are people like Bernard Purdy, Steve Gadd on drums, mm-hmm. you know, Larry Carlton and, you know, Dean Parker. It was, it was the best session guys at the time. That's why, I, that's why mm-hmm. they sounded so good because they wrote and sung brilliant songs, but they got the best musicians in, uh, you know, on the scene to play. And, you know, listening back to Steely Dan back catalogue is, you know, the, the first album was Jeff Picaro from Toto. Oh, I almost thought you'd make it through a whole episode. And I, in my in my head, I was thinking he's done three songs yes. and not one of them is Lukather or Toto. And then when you mentioned Steely Dan, I thought, Uh-oh. okay, oh no, he's mentioning Larry Carlton. And in my head, I thought, didn't Steve Lukather? I don't know. We'll have to, there's so much we need to fact check about this episode. But in my head, I was like, didn't Steve Lukather want to be in Steely Dan? Did I remember that? Or did I not remember that? I wonder if he's going to mention that. And then you started talking about excellent bands with great pop songs and session musicians. And I thought, oh, he's getting so close. He's he's like literally on the edge of Toto. I'm on and, the edge of Toto and, all the time. And then and then it, and then you tipped yourself over. There we go. Anyway, let's 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 uh, give us your last one and then uh, wrap up. All right, mate. My uh, my last one. Um, is is uh is about tone <clears throat> about pure unadulterated tone so for me uh again still relatively in my formative years probably in my 20s at this mm. stage um and that's not to say in the last couple of decades since i was in my 20s that i haven't uh been influenced or inspired by great tracks i i have but um for me continuing in terms of milestones and having been on a very kind of clear, you know, uh, path with rock and metal and, um, you know, and, and at the time as well, you know, a lot of hip hop, a lot of R&B. Um, there was some great pop stuff coming out at that whole time. Um, then starting to, to, to get into the blues um, a bit more is a track by Stevie Ray Vaughan mm-hmm. um, called Lenny. Uh, oh. And... Goosebumps, uh, you know, immediate goosebumps. Do you know what? The fact that you've said that uh, kind of validates my choice for me because do you know what? Um, I quickly listened to all of these tracks this morning. Just mm. I, I'd mentally made a list, right? Just did it very quickly. And then before we, we kind of started our conversation this morning, um, I, I just quickly went and had a listen just to say, you know, are, are, they, are they the right choices I've made? Um, and exactly to your point, how many times have we heard Lenny by Stevie Ray? It, it probably into the hundreds, if not He's hundreds nice. of thousands. <laughs> and uh, I goosebumps straight away, straight away with that track this morning. Uh, and I just thought, yeah, didn't even need to listen to all of it. I was like, yeah, completely validated. So for, for me, as, as somebody that had been out there gigging with, a uh, you know, uh, Les Paul copy and a, and, a, and a cheap Marshall at the time, and, and all those saturated rock tones and trying to play double talking jive by GNR and, you know, yeah. getting lost in Metallica numbers to all of a sudden discover 
Stevie Ray Vaughan and his guitar playing and the legend around his guitar playing and the monstrous tone and all of that. And, you know, seminal tracks from that Texas Flood album, Pride and Joy and uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb and, you know, all, all of that great stuff. But then to be stopped dead in my tracks and just get that goosebump feeling. but And that's related to tone. And, of mm. course, his playing and lick choice is is wonderful and beautiful in terms of phrasing on that track, which I think was a, an ode to his, his girlfriend or wife, um, yeah. wife at the time. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those tracks that I've, I've stolen a few licks from and obviously the main, the main kind of uh, melody yeah. uh, line. Um, but not one that I've ever learned note for note um, because a, it's a long track and, and it's, you know, it's one of those tracks that I almost don't want to learn it note for note because it will spoil some of the magic of it for me. But I've, I've stolen a few of the licks. But for me, this track is all about tone then. That that clean, overtly clean, but with a slight kind of dirtier kind of nuance to it as he digs in, that builds kind of dynamically in that song with his phrasing and just, you know, the the, the overall piece of orchestration is just, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it just stops you in your tracks and gives you goosebumps. Still, that tone. Oh, it's just um, astounding. I mean, yeah. I could even think of like even if I think of the song now, I can even think of the pickup choices he's making in certain areas. You know, like certain areas where he's flicking to the neck pickup, and you get yeah. that really woody sound. You know, it is a tone song, isn't it? Completely a tone song. You're absolutely right. You know, it's that is such a great. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably listen to that on repeat. All afternoon. It, honestly, it's just a choice, isn't it? And I've heard you play bits of it. And I, did you did you learn that one note? I did note? have to I learn think, it for I think yeah. You I did. Chose, yeah. Uh, when I was doing my degree, um, we had to do like a performance uh, exam where we had to pick songs and perform them, and, and there had to be a theme. And my theme was um, people's names. So I did Lenny ah, from Steve Ray cool. There was a couple of other songs. Yeah. I think I did Song for George by Eric Johnson on acoustic and um, Roxanne. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah, great track. Great but, track. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, yes, but yeah, I had to learn Lenny and oh, there's, there's parts of it I couldn't play. Um, a couple of little runs and things, which I just couldn't quite get right. But you kind of did them in your own way at the time. I kind yeah. of like we always do, right? Um, but that song is just, it's just an epic piece of music. Yeah. And tonally, it just, for me, that is that, that sound that went on to inspire others, right? You know, mm. you can hear it in Mayer's playing. You can hear, well, you can hear it by anyone that's ever been influenced by Stevie Ray Vaughan, which yeah. is, which is, which is pretty much every guitar, guitar player. Guitar player yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, as tone choice, try and spend some time trying to get that tone out of your guitar. Yeah. Um, and you'll you'll be very well rewarded with a with a with a tone that you'll use for so many other things. But yeah, he he nailed it on that one. He really did, mate. What a great choice and a perfect place to end it for this week. I mean, those are all fantastic songs. I'm going to go away and listen to the Guns N' Roses track. I'm going to listen to Steve Ray Vaughan on repeat this afternoon. Fantastic <laughs> stuff. Looking yeah, I'm to gonna it. go. I'm gonna go into some Thin Lizzy, I think. Yeah, <laughs> do it. Live and dangerous, uh, or and, and actually the Black Rose or Rosine Doob, I think, is because it's kind of named in Irish as well. Uh, that's a great album. A lot of a lot of really great guitar tracks on that. Um, awesome. Enjoy it. Thanks, buddy, and you, man. Lovely to chat to you yeah, today. It's been and, great. Uh, it's been a good laugh. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it again soon, mate. <laughs> awesome. Have a cracking week, buddy. I'll speak to you later on. Yeah. Take care, Matt. Dad, I'm it. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Another really interesting conversation this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Come back for more next week from the Guitar Smarts team. Come say hello to us on our social media pages. Remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so you never miss a show. Thanks again and see you soon.